morning. It's a, a joy for me to be here with you. I am excited. I'm always excited when churches are o- open to starting a disabled ministry, and um, I'm just thrilled. This has been a prayer of mine for years that churches would um, really be open to ministering those with disabilities. It's a joy. Um, you know, it's funny. I graduated from seminary around the same time that, uh, that Gary and, uh, and uh, Nam did, and I was, my desire was to find a small church like this to get involved in and serve as, as an associate pastor and just learn from someone that's been in the ministry for a long time. And unfortunately, I got a phone call one time from, the, from one of the elders of our church. And interesting, I'd never had a call from an elder before, so I thought I was in trouble. I said, okay, what did I do wrong here? Why is he calling me to his office? Well, he call, I call, come to his office and he says, um, we want you to take over our disabled ministry here at Grace Community Church. And I said, wait a minute now, what did you say again? You want me to take over the disabled? Because I, I knew nothing about disabilities. I knew we had a ministry at our church because uh, we, we had a ministry for many years. In fact, our ministry started back in the 70s. Um, John Erickson Tata really put us on the map. But as far as experience working with disabilities, I had none. Um, so it was really interesting. They asked me to oversee this ministry. I was, and I honestly didn't have a lot of time to think about it because they told me that, that you need to make a decision tonight. <laughs> it's like, we need, you need to go back, talk to your wife and make a decision. So maybe it was good that I didn't have a chance to think about it. But at the end of the day, I realized God had really, this was the work of the Lord. The Lord wanted me to be over this amazing ministry. And it's been a blessing for me. I, I can't say enough. I can't, I could tell you, I could spend hours telling you the blessing has been in my wife and our lives to serve these special people. And I always have a joy of being able to talk about this. So I'm going to give you a lot of stuff this morning. So forgive me. And you're going to be all through your Bibles. I'm going to have you all, all through the scriptures. So just hang there with me um, this morning. But I really want to share uh, eight biblical truths that we, that, that we should know about disabilities. And, and, inter- and disabilities intertwine with, with suffering. So I'm going to share about suffering too and how that looks. And um, the second hour, I'm going to probably talk more about specifics in our ministry, what we do. Uh, you're, you're welcome to ask questions if you want to. And I'll, I'll get into more practical things. But... I really want to just get into what the Word of God has to say about suffering and disabilities. And, you know, we live in difficult times, so I, I think this is going inter- also intertwine in the age that we live today, you know, with this terrible uh, pandemic that we've had. And our, by the way, our ministry has been affected tremendously by the pandemic. We normally would have maybe 40 to 50, maybe 60 kids that would come to our church on Sundays Unfortunately, most of the group homes have not come back to our church, so you guys can be praying about that. We, had, we used to pick up kids that lived in group homes and bring them to our church on Sunday mornings, and unfortunately, these kids are not yet coming back to our church, so we're hoping eventually they will come back. We miss them. Uh, we, there are numerous group homes in the valley here that um, we reach out to, and uh, we miss these kids. And then we have a Tuesday night program that we have not we had for years called Grace Club, and we'd have up to 100 kids coming that had, most of these were kids with um, mental disabilities, and that program has, has not c- come back. We haven't had that for three years, but it looks good. looks like we are going to be able to start up again in the near future, so, um, so we've been affected just like all you've had with this pandemic, um, but we're excited that hopefully things will change here in the near future. All right, let's get into the text. Number one, I think when we talk about disabilities and suffering, 
We always have to get back to the basis that God is sovereign. Number one, God is sovereign. He's in control. He does what he pleases. And it's difficult. We can, I think we can get a grasp of his love and his wisdom, but when it comes to his sovereignty, it's difficult to put our arms around that. It's difficult to put our arms the fact that he is in control of everything. Lamentations 3, if you'd like to turn to Lamentations 3, right after Jeremiah's Lamentations, just we're going to hit on some scriptures that talk about his sovereignty, that he is in control. Verse 37 and 38 of Lamentations 3, it says, Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? God is in control of both good and ill. And we can struggle with that. That he is sovereign over the good things that happen and also the bad things that happen. So in a a way, we can say, yes, the terrible things that are going on in our world right now, it's it's, it's difficult to see what's happening. But God is still sovereign over all that. Let's turn to Job. Job 42. As you probably know, Job lost everything. He lost his job. He lost his home. He lost everything. He lost his family except for his wife. Unfortunately, his wife wasn't too encouraging to him. He also had some friends that tried to counsel him and didn't do a very good job of counseling him. But at the end of the day, Job was going to learn something here. He, Job never cursed God through all the difficulties he went through. He never walked away from the Lord. But he had a lot of questions that weren't answered. Why? The whys were not answered. But in the last couple chapters of Job, Job... God begins to lecture him on his attributes. He says, Job, were you there when I created the earth? Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I created that? And I think he wanted to to teach Job something. So Job, he speaks for two chapters to Job. And finally in chapter 42, Job answers the Lord in verse 2. He says, says, God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared which I do not understand things too wonderful for me which I do not know here now and I will speak I will ask you and you instruct me I have heard of you by hearing of the ear but now my eyes see Job is finally getting it now he fairly understands that we have a God that we cannot understand and all a lot of the whys in our lives will not be answered a lot of the suffering that we go through in our lives and I get a lot of calls from mothers who are finding out that they're going to have a disabled child and there are some whys that come to why did God do this? Why is God allowing me to have this child? And I always go back to, to God's sovereignty, that God is a good God. He knows what he's doing, and he's sovereign over this child. This is no accident that you're having a disabled child. But anyway, at the end of the day, Job repented. He repented for his attitude of, of asking why and not trusting God. So this is important that we realize that God is in control of our lives and in control of everything. It is so key. In Daniel 4.35, real quickly, if you want to turn to Daniel 4, this is an interesting chapter because it's a story about Nebuchadnezzar. And what's really interesting is he's kind of puffed up. He's gotten really puffed up. You know, he's got a powerful nation. He's got huge armies. Um, And he starts to boast about this here in Daniel 9. And we're going to start out here in verse uh, 30 here. Of Daniel, Daniel 4, I'm sorry, Daniel 4, excuse me, verse 30. It says, The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have, have built as a royal residence by the might and the power and the glory of my majesty? 
Here's a man that's boasting. And right in the middle of him boasting, God intervenes and says, the word says here, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. You will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will all be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whoever he wishes. He completely flattened Nebuchadnezzar here. And he, he's eating with the animals now. It says here that he was driven away from mankind, began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. The Lord had humbled Nebuchadnezzar, has him eating now with the animals. But what's good is that he is a broken man now. We see this here in his response in verse 34. But at the end of the period, I never can raise my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever. And then in verse 35, he says, All that happens to the earth are counted as nothing, but he who does according to his will in the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say, What have you done? Nebuchadnezzar gets it now. There is a God that is sovereign, and he is in control. So number one, it's important to realize the sovereignty of God. If we are going to have any joyous Christians in the world we live, especially in the world we live today, we have to realize he's a good and sovereign God. Number two, number two, every human being is created in God's image for his purpose and therefore is of immeasurable value. This is crucial to understand, especially when we're dealing with those families who have children with special needs. Every human is created in God's image. That is so important to understand. Let's turn to Exodus 4.11 as we start this out. Exodus 4.11. Moses is having a discussion with God. And Moses is really kind of, doesn't have a lot of confidence in, in his speaking. And he struggles with that. And in verse 10 here, Exodus 4, Moses said, Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in past, nor since I have been spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I can relate with that one. When I was the first time I was asked to preach at a church, I said, God, I feel like Moses here. I, I'm not, I don't have the gift. And then God responds to him here. Interestingly, he responds in an amazing way here in verse 11. He says, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Interesting, God makes it clear to Moses, I'm in control of who I create and, and how, they, how they are, who they are, if they're deaf or whatever they may be. So God takes credit for cre creating those people with disabilities. And he has good reasons for it, as we're going to be learning here. He has good reasons for it. So there's no, there's no place to question God's purpose and who he creates and how he creates. But we should give thanks for God. Each of us has created his own image uniquely. Therefore, it's, it is important to understand that when we have those that are created with disabilities, that God has not made a mistake here. For decades, abortion rights and death without dignity have used quality of life to advance their agenda. But God makes no distinction between the quality of life and life itself. Every human life, whether typical or disabled, is valuable in the eyes of God the Creator. And one of the beauties of disability is that it challenges us to measure our value of human life. And again, because we're all created uniquely in His own image. Sadly to say... I was just looking recently, 60 to 70% of Down syndrome babies are aborted. 60 to 70%. And 
And you know what's really sad? They are one of the greatest blessings in my life are these Down syndrome kids that we have at our church. They are a joy. Yes, there's health issues. Family have to deal with medical bills. They have to struggle with certain issues. Many of them have the organs are not necessarily in the right order. They're in, internal organs. They have heart issues. But they are the greatest blessing in, our, in my life of these Down syndrome kids. I, was, I had the joy earlier this year to, to, to baptize a Down syndrome young man. Probably the highlight of my, uh, my uh, career as a pastor. But they are a joy. Let's turn to Psalm 139 as we talk about God's amazing creation. Psalm 139. It's so imp- important to go through this just quickly. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a great psalm, by the way, if you want to learn about God's attributes. His, we're learning about his, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere at all times. Uh, hard to understand that, maybe to comprehend that. But we're going to look at his, all, his powerful power here in creation. We're going to look at verses 13 to 17 in Psalm 139 just quickly here. Just to remind us how God is totally involved in the birth of a child. It says here in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my informed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. When is yet there that was not one of them. He sums up this by saying, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. How God providentially watched over the deve- watches over the development of children while yet in the mother's womb. The womb is God's art. Reproductive process from conception to birth in the life-standing environment of the womb must be guarded with the utmost care. Nothing must be done to harm it. And the womb is where God performs his most glorious creative work of crafting human beings, not two of which are the same. Not two of which are the same. You don't have to turn here, but Psalm 71, 5 to 6 says, For you are my hope, O Lord. You are my confidence for my youth. You have been my, sustained me from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My con- praise is continually before you. The good purposes of God guide him along as he uniquely crafts each human life. And it's all for good. It's all for good. And as it said here, fearfully and wonderfully we are made. In God's image. In God's image we are made. Job 10, 9 to 12 says, Remember now that you made me as clay. You would turn me into dust again. Did you not pour me out like milk and cuddle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and loving kindness. You, your care has preserved my spirit. Job is going through some difficult times, but he went around and remind himself that where he came from. And he came from the Lord and God's amazing creation. God does not make mistakes in who he creates. And he creates uniquely in his image. Number three here, as we're going through this. Number three. God is a God who is always wise, kind, and loving. He's a God who is loving, wise, and kind. All that he does is for good. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we go through difficult times... And we can question his goodness. I think we can all fall in that trap. I get a lot of phone calls from people that are suffering, trying to understand why is God putting me through this. We may doubt his love at times. 
And it's difficult to comprehend his full extent of his goodness. We're not able to grasp his full extent of his goodness. John MacArthur once said, God's goodness is that he is the perfect sum, source, and standard for that which is wholesome, virtuous, beneficial, and beautiful. And he never stops being good. The problem is that sometimes we stop being grateful. That's where the battle is. And the goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we can even imagine. We can even imagine. Psalm 145, 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. Psalm 119, 68 says, You are a good God and you do good things. Psalm 23, 6, David says, Surely goodness and kindness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And we know Romans 8.28. Let's turn to Romans 8.28. I'm sure you're familiar with this. This is a a verse that I spend a lot of time quoting and reading to people who are struggling and not understanding what God is doing. Romans 8.28 says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And what he's really talking about here, the the things he's talking about here in this verse, I really believe is suffering. God uses suffering for good in our lives. And I'm sure many of us here can look back at those difficult times we had in our lives and we can see how God used those for good in our lives. Maybe when we were in the middle of it, we couldn't see it. But as we look back, we can see that God uses these things for good. And he used his goodness and kindness to lead us to repentance. Let's turn to Romans 2.4. Romans 2.4. Just go back a few pages here. We see how he uses his goodness to save us. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? His goodness leads us to repentance. His kindness, his mercy, draws us to himself and saves us. So, so far we've seen God is sovereign. Every human being is created in his image for, for a purpose. God's ways are loving, kind, and wise. And again, I, 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 when a when mother or a parent calls me on the phone, I'll say, look, at, all I can tell you is God is a good, loving, kind, and wise God. He hasn't made a mistake with this child. And he will give you the grace that you need. Number four here, though, as we look at our points here, is that God... Did not, is not using special needs child to punish us. You know, it's interesting, in the time of Christ, many of the Jews felt that if a child came in the world that was disabled, God was punishing the parents for something they did wrong. Let's turn to John 9 as we talk about this. John 9. Jesus is having an interesting discussion with, the, with the, uh, his disciples. John 9, verses 1 to 3. And again, I do get calls from parents thinking that they did something wrong, and that's why this child is disabled that they're going to care for. It's, what did I do wrong here? Did I make a mistake here? Now, no, we also obviously know we live in a sin-cursed world, and it's a broken world. We know that. And disabilities really come from that, from the fact that we live in an imperfect world. Even though God is perfect, but we live in, live in an imperfect world. But in John 9, it says here, he passed by and saw a blind man from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he had been born blind? Well, Jesus answered him here. It says, 
It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but so the works of the God might be displayed in him. In verse 4 it says, he must, And he must work the works of him who sent me. God has a purpose for these disabled children to show his works. And one way he showed his works, obviously, was the fact that all through the scriptures we see that he healed many disabled people. Many times he would come across someone with a disability and he would heal them. But, and he showed his love in so many, and compassion in so many ways. I tell people, some people ask me sometimes, why did you, why you do this ministry? Why are you working with disabled people? Because we want to exemplify who what Christ did. Christ never always spent time with those with disabilities. We see it all through the scriptures. We see him, many times he did heal them. But he always was open to minister to these special people. The, the story of bringing the paralytic down in the, in our, in the ceiling of a room. The, the healing those that were deaf, blind, those that were blind, those who were physically disabled. This, is, this was part of his ministry, a huge part of his ministry. I want to tell one story, though. Turn to Luke 18. Luke 18. And this is a, kind of a funny story, really. They come across a blind, a blind man here. Luke 18, we're looking specifically verses 35 and following. The disciples are with him, and Jesus is always, in his, was always trying to minister to the disciples and teach them something. Well, here's a blind man. We see here in verse 35, as Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now, hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was, and they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out, saying, yelled out and said, Jesus, of, son of David, have mercy on me. Here's a blind man, possibly homeless, Maybe he smells dirty. He's kind of obnoxious, yelling out, yelling out a lot. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples are, are saying here, and as we look here, let's, let's move on. Let's, let's, you know, we don't want to deal with this guy. He's kind of dirty. He's obnoxious. Let, let's just keep moving on. It says here in verse 39, those who, who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. They were telling him, to, quiet down, you're, you're loud, you're obnoxious. But the man kept crying out all the more, saying, Son of David, have, have mercy on me. But what does Jesus do? Verse 4, he stops. Stops everything here. And commanded them that they bring this man to him. Here the disciples are murmuring and complaining. He says, go get that man and bring him to me. And he came near and he questioned him. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began to follow him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. This is a tremendous example of his compassion for those with disabilities, in spite of his disciples' attitude. And I think we live in a world where people are kind of like that. I can tell a story. One time we, we, took our, we, we do summer camps. We haven't done them for a couple of years. We'll, we'll take our kids to McDonald's. We have maybe 15 to 20 kids that would come to our uh, camps. One time we walked into McDonald's with these kids, and it's like we were going towards the side of the room, and people were like backing away, moving across to the other side of the room. They, I'm not faulting them. They didn't know what to do. They're not used to seeing that many disabled people together, and they're just like, they're like, you know, what is going on here? And we get those responses sometimes. And I think it's, and I honestly, growing up, I was uncomfortable around those with disabilities because I didn't know. We don't understand. You know, we don't understand. These are people that, they're no different than us. They look different, maybe. They act funny. 
but they're, in most ways they're no different than us. But anyway, we see here with this blind man, Jesus shows his compassion. And I could spend all morning sharing other examples of Jesus' love and compassion for those with disabilities. All right, number five. Number five here. God uses physical and mental disabilities to remind us of our greatest disability is that, that we're all spiritually disabled. We are all disabled one way or another, especially spiritually disabled, though. And then we talked about here in John that Jesus' primary person, purpose to come to earth was to meet our deepest spiritual need. Yes, he healed these people for a reason. I think he was healing these people to show his power and his grace and mercy and love. But our greatest need is spiritual. And disability reminds us that every one of us is spiritually helpless. Spiritually helpless. Not able to come to God on our own. But God's grace, as he comes to us, he opens our eyes and approaches and saves us. But we are spiritually blind. We're spiritually deaf. We're cognitively disabled to some degree. And we've all, we've all been negatively, negatively affected by the fall. And obviously, yes, we're spiritually disabled. We are also all physically disabled. We just don't show it as much. And as we get older, there could be a time in our lives we all will be disabled. Maybe we'll end up in a wheelchair someday. But we're all broken. We live in a world that is broken. It's just that those with disabilities, their, their brokenness is more visible. You can see it more. It's right in your face. Romans 5, 6 says that while we were still helpless at the point in time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. And Luke 4, let's turn to Luke 4 real quickly. We see who, the people that really Christ came for. for. Luke 4, verses 16 to 21. Verses 16 to 21. This is his beginning of his public ministry. And he came to, it says he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And it was his custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. He stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recover the sight to the blind, set free those who are oppressed and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Christ did not come for the, the strong the, 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 you know, the macho people in our society, the successful, the rich, the powerful. He came for the hurting people, the broken, the people that are broken, the people that are suffering. These are the people he came for. He didn't come for the self-righteous. These are the people that he really came from, for. All right, number six. So, so far, we've talked about the fact that God is sovereign. Number two, He's created a human being in his own image for a purpose, and they're of a measurable value. Number three, God's ways are loving, kind, and wise, and compassionate. Number four, God is, using, is not using special needs to punish us for our sins. Number five, God uses physical and mental dis- disabilities to remind us that we're all spiritually disabled. Number six, this is important to understand, living in a suffering world that we live in, and dealing, and definitely those of us that have to deal with those with disabilities and raise them, that God's grace is sufficient for any trial. God's grace is sufficient for any trial. This is so crucial to understand that he is gracious through every... And, and, he, and we really, when we are weak, this is when he becomes strong. 
In, in our weaknesses, God's power is made more evident. And I'm sure many of us who have suffered can, can understand that. He gives us strength. When we don't have that kind of strength, when we are weak. I'm just thinking about this. I was just talking to, this morning with Gary about this. Pastor John has been through a lot lately. Pastor John MacArthur, he had surgery. He almost had a heart attack preaching for a few week, uh, weeks ago. On January 1st, he was up there preaching, and he started feeling dizzy and weak. His heart rate was going really bad, was off. He just about faded up there. And uh, obviously, he, the doctors found out that he had some heart issues, and he's been very weak. Friday night, he decided he was going to come and preach at Grace Community Church. He hasn't, you know, and he's, and he's very frail. If you'd see him, he's very frail. He fell and hit his head last week and broke his wrist. And it's amazing. He got up there for an hour and a half and spoke. You don't think that wasn't the Lord's strength that was working in him? It was. It was God's strength. God, this is where we really see his strength is when we are weak. When we are weak. And, we, and I want to read a short story by John Erickson Tata when we're thinking about God's strength and weakness. She shares that there was a talent night at one of her Johnny and Friends family retreats. And Sydney, a young woman with cerebral palsy, was the last one scheduled to perform. Sydney's mother pushed her daughter in the wheelchair onto the platform. Sydney, she told us, has been working hard all week on her song, The Amazing Grace. Several of us looked at each other and said, we all love Cindy, but how is this going to work? How is she going to get up there? Because of her disability, Cindy couldn't speak. Her mother walked off stage and left Cindy alone up there on the stage. The young woman laboriously stretched out her twisted fingers and pushed a button on her communication device attached to her chair and, she, and began the monotone uh, computerized voice began to come out. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. As a robotic voice continued the hymn, Cindy turned her head to face the audience and with the enormous effort began to mouth all the words as best as she could. What's more, her smile lit up the entire place. It was a performance that any opera star or recording artist would envy. To be honest, I've never seen anything quite equal to it. Amazing Grace is not a new song, but that night it was sung in an entirely new way. And though Cindy was unable to sing the words with her vocal cords, something happened as she leaned hard on Jesus and mouthed these words. Johnny says, I can't explain how, but somehow it rose up in that auditorium as a ringing hymn of praise. It was though Cindy's song was backed by an 80-piece orchestra. I can imagine the angels leaning over the edge of heaven, filled with wonder to catch every word. Talk about God using something weak, and giving that strength to this young little lady. And being, being around those with disabilities, you're blessed to see how God gives them strength and the amazing things that they can do. But God's grace, as we talk about here, His grace is, is, is really evident in suffering. And, and let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm sure you're familiar with this section where Paul receives a thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Paul has an amazing experience here. He has an amazing experience. We'll see here at the beginning here. It says in verse 1, Boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. But I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago 
Whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I don't know, God knows such a man. I was caught up in the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and, and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will not boast, but I, on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For I do not wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit even more than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul had an amazing experience here. He was overwhelmed by heavenly vision. He did not know the precise details of his vision, but he was caught up either bodily or in spirit and was temporarily separated from his body into heaven. But he was hesitant to share this experience. At this time, the, the apostles, they called themselves super apostles, were harassing him and criticizing him all the time. They always, they're always ridiculing him and attacking him. And he felt like maybe this is not a good thing to share. But he was caught up in this dwelling place of God. Paul saw and heard something that was beyond human, human understanding. But he did not want to talk about this. And God was concerned about him becoming proud because of this. So what does he do? He gives him a thorn in the flesh here. Now, we don't know necessarily what that thorn in the flesh was. It could have been this. Or one of the, maybe one of the leaders of the super apostles who were harassing him. But he was going through a lot. But God is going to use this in his life. It says here in verse 7, Because of the surpassing greatness of the relations for this reason, to keep him from exalting himself, there was given him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment him. And this was pretty serious because he says here in verse 8, I implored the Lord three times that this might leave me. I want to get rid of this. But God says here in verse 9, he says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about it in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in you. God is saying, when you are weak, I am strong, and I will give you the power. Philippians says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. So we can be encouraged by that. And again, the, those with disabilities are a great example of power and weakness. They are great for us. I have been ministered to these people because they show me this in their lives. Many of them served in our shepherds conference last week. They are just a blessing. All right, let's see if we can get through this. Number seven, number seven. Those with disabilities are an indispensable part of the church. And I really want to spend a little time in this. They're a blessing to the church. And for those of you here that you're wanting to start a ministry, I can attest to you that those with disabilities at our church have been a huge blessing for so many years. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to talk about, this talks about the body of Christ here. 1 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to go through, summarize some of this section here about the amazing body of Christ. Just like we have a human body with different organs that have to work just for, right for us to function, the body of Christ is the same way. We're all gifted differently. We all have different gifts for the body of Christ. Let's look at first at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. We're just going to work our way through this. And what I'm getting, at, I'm going to drive it home at the point of towards the end here of how those with disabilities are, we need those people in our church. They are an indispensable part of our church. But let's go back to verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. He says here, 
For in his body is one, he has many members. All the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. This is interesting. This is an amazing body, and God, it serves a purpose designed by God. And the body of Christ is the church. No single part is more important than another. Every part is indispensable. All are designed to live and work out together in a gracious community. This is the Holy Spirit's design for the church. And the ground level of all of this is the foot of the cross. The foot of the cross. We are, and we're equally in need of the mercy of God and His gospel saving power, obviously. But we're all, we all work together here. Even though we are all have different gifts. The problem, though, that is sometimes, though, is the fact that some of us get jealous of other people's gifts. How come I don't have that other gift? How come I don't have this gift? And we see that here. Let's look at verses 15 to 16. 15 to 16. It says, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body? And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it's not that reason for this any less part of the body? What we're saying here is, this is an attitude of being jealous of someone else's gifts. How come I don't have their gifts? This is kind of, this is an attitude of, can be an attitude of selfishness maybe. Um, but the fact of the matter is we all the gifts need. The eye needs the hand, the eye needs, the, we all need each other. We all need each other. And some people will belittle themselves. And yet God has created, we are independent. We're all dependent on one another, but especially dependent on him. And, but we, we need to have the attitude is, I may not have the gifts and the abilities that they have, but I have a gift that God can use for me. I'm, and I'm necessary part of this body. You know, we have a lady in our church that's been serving in our church for probably 30 years. And she cleans the dishes. She works in the kitchen. No one ever sees her. This lady has been faithful for years serving. And when I see her, I always try to make a point to thank her for what she does. But most people don't even know what she does. And we have those special people, and I'm sure you have those in your church here. No one sees what they do. They do behind-the-scenes work, and yet God is honored by that. I just want to say, the Lord is honored by your faithfulness. I appreciate it. We had a guy that used to come to our church for years that would come early on Sunday mornings and go around and pick up trash around the pavements in our church and pick up on the sidewalk, pick up if he sees something on the ground. Did this for years. Come like 6.30 in the morning, 7 in the morning. I saw him because I was working custodian at that time, blowing the campus. I would come at 7. Here he is out there every morning doing this. No one knew, hardly anybody knew what he was doing. The body Christ is amazing. And we want to realize that we, are, we all have something to give to the church. Every one of us here has a, something to give to the church. The worst thing we could do is come to church and sit in the pew and go home. And we, unfortunately, we, at Grace, we had, we've always had that problem. People come because they want to hear John. They sit in their pew and they go home. We don't know them. We don't even know them. And they're missing out. The greatest blessing is to serve in the church. All right, let's, let's go here to, as we work through here, let's go to verse 20 here now. Because there are also people in the church that think that my gift is better than yours. I have a better gift than you. You know, I, I'm much better than you. I'm above you type of attitude. Let's look at verse 20 here. 
It says here, but now there are members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much true that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. We don't want to ever get proud about the gifts that we have. There are many parts. We don't want to compare our gifts to others like that. And Paul is, re- is rebuking pride of self-sufficiency here. Like, we're almost saying, well, without me, the church can't run. You know, they need me here. I'm, the, I'm important here. And yet he's saying that every part is important here. Well, I'm driving home here to the weaker members here. I want to look at the weaker members here. Look at 23, 24, and 26 here. This is what I'm driving at, the weaker members of the church. And, and really, I think what I'm looking at here is those that are with the disabilities that come to our church. Let's look at verses 23 here and 24. And those members of the body which deem less honorable on those we bestore more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member that lacks, which lacks. Those are the important people of our church, and we need to make sure that we, we reach out to those, that we know who they are in our church, the weaker, the ones that maybe can't do a whole lot in the church. We need to make sure that we're coming around them and giving them opportunities to serve if they can. And then verse 26 really drives home this point. If one member suffers, all the members suffer. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We need to make sure we know of those that are in the church that are suffering. Those that are ch- church that are hurting. We, may, we need to make sure that we know who they are. And just like when we hurt, hurt our foot, or hurt our toe, it affects our body, we're in pain, we're all affected. It's the same thing in the church. When one is hurting, we all hurt. We all hurt. We want to come alongside and honor those that are hurting in our church. What, are that, what am I driving home here about this? Okay, this is what I'm trying to say here. The body's made up of many parts. But the important thing is that disability blesses our church. Disabilities helps us to re- and reminds us some things that we often forget. Things that we may often forget. We are one body and we need each other. And God intentionally designed a church, including the weaker parts. And it's sad that many times we tend to look at those people in the church that are the strong and the powerful and the smart. We tend to gravitate around those people. We tend to do that. But the desire of the weak and strong together body is a great testimony of God's grace. And we have a great opportunity to love these people, come alongside and reach out to them. Disability teaches us to love and accept heartily these people, these special people, and thank them for being in our church. You're a blessing to be in our church. We're thankful you're here. So if we look through God's eyes here with disabilities, this is what I'm getting at. The weaker members of the body are important and indispensable. Disability ministry is not a separate ministry in the church. It's a normal part of the church. It's an opportunity for the outworking of biblical love for our church to these people. We embrace human weakness, and it shows the working of God's strength and grace. And we see disability as, as a way whereby our self is dethroned in our hearts, in our churches, as we practice selfless love to these people. That's a blessing about working with disabilities, is learning selfless love, learning to, to love someone that that's, needs help. We have many people in our church that need help in the bathroom. You know, I don't think a lot of people, that would be the top of the list, is to go and help, help somebody in the bathroom. We need somebody to hold a hymnal for them. We need somebody just to sit with them in church, to love them. 
And again, we've developed cl specific classes in our church. We have Sunday school classes where we teach down to their level. Usually we teach our classes at a, at a maybe five, six-year-old level, even though we might have some that are higher functioning in the class. We, they hear the word of God. They need to hear the word of God, just like anyone else. We give them the gospel every week. They need to hear the gospel. And over the years, that was my biggest struggle I had when I first took this ministry on. I remember saying, how do I know who's saved and who's not saved? Because a lot of our people can't verbalize. They can't talk. How do I know? And, and, and how am I, you know, because I thought that's the most, I want to make sure they're saved. But the Lord taught me, no, no, you just be faithful to love them, give them the word, and let God do the rest of the work. And, and it's amazing. Now, I've been doing this for 21 years. We've had kids come around to the Lord and, and get saved. And then the other end of the spectrum is we have some that are so low-functioning, they're never going to be able to understand the gospel. And I believe that they're going to go to heaven when they die. Because God's not going to judge these people. They're like the mind, they have the mentality of a two- or three-year-old. So I've had to rest in that over the years, that we just want to love these people and be faithful. And that's what we do every week. And um, the classes that we have for our little autistic kids can be a challenge. They're high energy. They bang against the walls. Um, and, but we love that. We just started a new ministry for young uh, disabled children uh, because most of our kids had grown up and are older. So now we have a these, uh, room full of autistic kids, and that can be a challenge. But we, it's a joy that we, we're looking forward to really ministering to. And what we're doing, too, is the other day, we're ministering to their families. Their families can go to church and worship the Lord, and we can watch their kids. And we have a, we've had great opportunities to minister to the families. My wife oversees a ministry to the, to the mothers. They meet every few months. And the mothers of these disabled children come, and they pray for each other. They have a lunch. They hear testimonies. So that's part of the ministry is the families. It's not just the kids, it's the families. Because this is a, for many of these parents, it's a 24-7 lifestyle with these kids. And many of these kids will never grow up and move out of the house. They're going to be there forever. Sadly to say, unfortunately, that's why we have group homes. A lot of these group homes are parents who got too old, they could not care for these kids, their kids anymore. Now they're living in group homes. But what a great opportunity it is. And you know, at the end of the day, God is honored by this. God is honored by it. We know that he has a heart for these people. All right, lastly, as I'm running out of time here, my final point here is, is I think this really sums up when we live in a world of difficulties, struggles, we see the brokenness of the world, is the last point is that suffering causes us to look forward to heaven. You know, when I'm around Johnny Erickson Tata, you know what she talks about? Heaven. And, you know, it takes her two to three hours a day to get up and get dressed, to get her going in the morning. Many mornings she doesn't have the energy to get up. She feels like she can't make it. And yet the Lord gives her strength and she has good people to help her. But she says, what gets me out of bed is that I know that heaven is around the corner. Heaven is around the corner. And that's what gets her through the day. This is the focus that we need to have on eternity. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4.17 as I close here. 2 Corinthians 4.17. Second Corinthians four seventeen. It says, "For a momentary light affliction is producing us the eternal weight of glory, beyond all comparison." Momentary light affliction. This is all short. Our lives are short compared to eternity. And then quickly, Romans eight. Let's turn to Romans eight. Eighteen. Romans eight eighteen. For I consider the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us. This is really where our focus needs to be. Life is short compared to eternity. First Peter even said that in First Peter chapter 1, that our sufferings are for a short time compared to eternity. And we can look forward to heaven. And that's what really should motivate us and get us through every day is living for eternal things. Living for eternal things. That is so important. Okay, in closing, I threw a lot of stuff at you guys. Hey, thank you for hanging in there with me. I gave you three, two messages in one here, really. Really, this message I give, I do at conferences. So I'm giving you three messages in one, one message. But thank you for hanging in there. I want to close by sharing a story about Fanny Crosby. She became blind at six weeks. She had written over 6,000 gospel hymns in her life. Pity that your master did not give you sight when he showered you with so many gifts. Well, she replied quickly, Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I had been born blind? She says, Why is that? She goes, Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall gladden my sight will be that of my Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. One time she was asked to give her testimony at a D.L. Moody conference. She first hesitated, and then she quietly rose and said, well, there's a hymn I've written. At that time, it had not been published. It has been now. I call it my soul's poem. Sometimes when I have trouble, I repeat it to myself, for it brings comfort to my heart. She then began to recite this hymn, and it goes like this. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of my king. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. At the age of 95, Fanny Crosby passed into glory. And the face that, first face that gladdened her sight was that of her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's a woman that had the right attitude. Let's pray. Father, we, we really appreciate attitudes like Fanny, Lord. We lose sight sometimes. We get caught up in our lives and our little struggles and trials. She, she got it right. She lived her life for eternity, for heaven. She knew that someday she would see her Lord. And for all of us here, that's, that's how we need to live. We need to live for eternity, Lord. The things that count today count for eternity. And may we realize that we will see you soon, face to face, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the hope of heaven. So, Lord, we are, we are so thankful for your goodness and grace in our lives. And, in, and we thank you for your love for those with disabilities. Help us to love these people in a way that you love them, with compassion, grace, and love. We pray this in Jesus' name.